Before we have a message today, I want to give you a little update and thank you who have given for our Take Back Black Friday offering thus far. We're going to announce the total at the Christmas Eve service. The giving goes through the end of the year, but we are a little bit over halfway toward our goal of funding a pavilion at Jubilee Community Church in North North St. Louis, which Jubilee's been a longtime partner for us here at First Free, and this pavilion is going to provide them a really great outdoor ministry center right next to the community garden that Jubilee has. And then our global project is to partner with Lifeway Mission International in Kenya to provide motorcycles for church planters. Uh, Lifeway is right now, they're planting five new churches a day across East Africa, but often they have to go long distances to take the gospel and to help make connections to other tribes and other villages. And also many of the, the people that they work with are oral learners, so they do not have written Bibles. And written Bibles wouldn't help them. So we're providing audio Bibles for them. So you have another week or so to give to Take Back Black Friday. Please be generous with with these two projects. And we'll give you the update on Christmas Eve. Now, when I drive into church here from my home, I come from 141 down Carmen, and there's a house that has a Christmas decoration in the front. Some of you take that road may see it. And it tells you how many days, hours, and minutes are left until Christmas. That was encouraging like three weeks ago. Now it's getting, and it's really not helping me. So I want to drive around it to not see how few days we have left. And maybe you're like that. So before we open God's word, why don't we take just a minute and quiet our hearts. And in the quietness of this moment, just ask God to take away all the stuff that you're concerned about and that's going on out there and ask God to connect with you today. Let's do that in a moment of quiet prayer. We are so grateful, God, that the faith that we have is not a faith that requires circumstances to be a certain way. In fact, the faith that we have is is a deep internal confidence, peace, connection with God through Christ. And I thank you that we can tap into that faith when we come and worship you in our songs and prayers, looking into your word, the connections that we make here on Sunday morning and through the week in our groups. I pray that today you would help each of us to hear from you, um, maybe through the songs, the prayer, the message, some connection we make here, Lord, that we would walk out of here being, being your people a little bit better. And that doesn't mean performing better. That means having a more intimate connection with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this time of year, we're getting to our movie time and watching all the Christmas movies where all the Conflicts and struggles are resolved within an hour or two, and everyone is getting along, and our Christmas cards talk about tranquility and peace, and we long for that snowy evening sitting around a fire and everyone getting along with each other. Uh, That verse from Isaiah 9, 6 comes to mind, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and we tell people that's what this season is about, a season of peace. But in reality, there are wars going on all around the world. There are people who are homeless right now in our city who don't have the basic shelter and food that they need to get by. There are families that are struggling. There's no charity in our public discourse. The political landscape is divided. There's, there's very little constructive dialogue going on there. 
People are being persecuted for their beliefs, skin color, heritage in our country and around the world. And then extended family struggle with scheduling. It's hard to get everyone together for Christmas. It can get a little hard. Um, If there's marital separation or divorce in a family, it can be really painful, especially if it's a newly separated family. Where are the kids going to go? Who's going to have Christmas? And some of you maybe have an empty seat at the table this year for Christmas that you didn't have last year because you've lost someone. There's a lot of pain there. And then we want to get together for Christmas dinner and we have family gatherings and we are worried that maybe maybe someone will bring up that topic that will trigger that one person at the table and everything's going to just totally disintegrate into some huge conflict and we don't want that. So we do everything we can to avoid that. And if only there was something simple, like a pill we could take that would just, everybody get along just for, just for this day. I did find one. Let's listen about it. I just never thought it could happen to me, to my own family. It just felt like we were trapped in this black hole of anger and resentment. Like the walls were just closing in on me. Like I was in the trash compactor from Star Wars, and I'm Luke Skywalker, and there's Princess Leia, who I don't know is my sister yet. And even though Han Solo's trying his hardest to save us, he's driving me crazy. And then there's Chewie in the corner just going, Anyway, then the holidays roll around, And it's just like Christmas to bring out the worst in all of us. All those long-standing grudges and unresolved family conflict just seem to rear their ugly heads this time of year. The last thing I wanted to do was go to the annual family holiday party. Then my doctor told me about Reconcilosec. Reconcilosec is the safe, easy, and effective way to bring relational reconciliation to you and yours during the chaos that Christmas brings. Reconcilosec is recommended for all occasions where friends and family need a little help getting over those long-held resentments and bitter grudges. Reconcilosec is not for people who are dating or engaged or may become engaged during the holidays. Reconcilosec should never be taken with in-laws. In lab tests, in-laws taking Reconcilosec showed no improvement over those taking a placebo. Relational conflicts involving money or inheritance also showed no improvement. Take Reconcilosec at least 30 minutes before any anticipated conflict. Sharing Reconcilosec with others may increase your chances of reconciliation. So if you're looking for immediate reconciliation with the ones you're supposed to love, look no further. Ask your doctor if Reconcilosec is right for you. Ask your doctor about Reconcilosec. Side effects may include excessive hugging, chronic hand-holding, inexplicable affection for in-laws, and sloppy kisses from aunts and grandmas. Exceeding recommended dosage may result in marriage proposals or pregnancy. If you experience a reconciliation lasting more than 24 hours, that means the drug is working. Other side effects include dry mouth, headache, diarrhea, diphtheria, vomiting, dizziness, earache, nosebleeds, loss of vision, loss of hearing, euphoria, sudden paralysis, leprosy, and plague. It is helpful, isn't it, to remember that conflict, relational conflict, is something we have to go through. And even the holiday season that we're talking about now, the birth of Jesus, was not, was not something that brought about an immediate cessation to all conflict. Um, in fact, the wonder of the incarnation is God entering into this human dilemma, entering into our conflict, so that he could bring a path of reconciliation and peace with him. That's what this was about. 
The peace and hope that he brings are much deeper and much longer lasting than the temporal relief or support or just some surface level harmony that we often want when we talk about or think about Christmas. Even the birth story of Jesus, if you read the birth story of Jesus, it's it's not a real nice, pleasant story. It's full of danger and conflict. And that danger and conflict began before Jesus was even born and carried on through his death. In Matthew chapter 2, the virgin birth of Jesus, which we, we pause and celebrate and we focus on that. But the virgin birth was just a snapshot leading to this conflict and was in, in, the, in the context of a conflict and was eclipsed. We read, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. Then the Magi come from the east looking for this one that the star told them about or were following to find. And in that quest, they encounter King Herod. King Herod is very fearful that there might be another king they're talking about. And in his paranoia, he said, tell me when you find the king. And then we see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and his mother and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. So immediately this child is born and the conflict's like, okay, we have to leave. We can't stay here. There's persecution. There's, there's a threat on his life from the very beginning. And this is, by the way, great symbolism. Jesus is seen as kind of the counterpart to Moses in the Old Testament where Jesus would usher in a new exodus of freedom from bondage to sin and sickness and death. But the path to that freedom was going to require Jesus to walk through life and identify with us at every point in life, which is important to know. Sometimes we, we focus on Jesus died for us. He lived for us before he died for us. He lived a substitutionary life, which led to the substitutionary death. And so that had to go through that so that he could know what this what this life is like and the challenges and struggles that we have. And the angel's words to Joseph in Matthew 2, after learning about Mary's pregnancy, don't really point to peace and harmony. They don't, they don't give us an indication that this ought to be a month-long holiday every year where we celebrate and commemorate the birth of Jesus. Instead, it says, consider this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. Right there, that's what this is about. This is about a cosmic conflict. This is about a cosmic struggle where people are separated from God, and in order for that separation to be bridged, God is going to become man, live on this earth, and die so that we can know him. I think it's, it's important to note this, and there's nothing wrong with the sentimentality of Christmas as we celebrate it, but we have, to, we have to be honest that the way we celebrate Christmas is much more cultural than it is biblical. It's not unbiblical, but a, a, just an objective reading of the New Testament would not say that Christians should have a month-long annual you know, celebration of the birth of Jesus. It just... The birth of Jesus happened, and then 
Even, even in the epistles, Paul doesn't say, let's go back and think more about the incarnation. What does he say go back and think more about? The cross, the conflict, the brokenness. And in church history, even the Puritans in the late 16th, early 17th century, we, we read about and we think, boy, what deep, deeply spiritual people. They did not want Christmas to be celebrated at all. So this shouldn't even be part of what we do as Christians. Again, it's not wrong, but we have to realize what, is, what the Bible tells us about Christmas, about the incarnation of Jesus, carries with it an undertone, a theme of God breaking into humanity to resolve the, the ongoing conflict that we have with him. Matthew identifies the birth of Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. Look at Matthew 1, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this original prophecy was from Isaiah to King Ahaz, recorded in Isaiah 7, 14, in 730 B.C., the context was Isaiah giving a corrective warning to King Ahaz of Judah. Ahaz was a horrible king. He was leading his people away from worshiping Yahweh faithfully. And you can read more about the history and the background of this prophecy in 2 Chronicles 26 through 28 and in 2 Kings 16. But a coalition had been formed in the north that was threatening the nation of Judah. Ahaz was afraid, and so instead of going to God, he appealed to Tiglath-Pileser III, who was the king of Assyria, to fight against Israel and Syria. And so the Tiglath-Pileser entertained King Ahaz, but didn't support him. Instead, he attacked him. But while Ahaz was in Assyria for this uh, visit with Tiglath-Pileser, he saw one of the the idol-worshiping altars there, he brought back the idea to build that right in the temple in Judah to bring this corruption right in there. And this is where Isaiah comes in and says, stop, God has this. And in Isaiah, in, in, uh, Isaiah 7, Isaiah prophesies and tells King Ahaz, if we jump in at verse 13, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear will both be deserted. So God is saying through Isaiah to King Ahaz, I've got this. You don't have to fear these other two kings. And Ahaz, no, I need to go figure this out by myself. I need to form an alliance instead of trusting in God. And Isaiah said, ask for a sign. And Ahaz said, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And and Isaiah said, God's going to give you a sign. There's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth. Now, you might ask the question, well, okay, was that about Jesus? It was, we know from Matthew, but any prophecy has an immediate fulfillment and then uh, a fulfillment of that type. And so we don't know what really happened in Isaiah and Ahaz's life to fulfill this prophecy. We don't know where this child was, who this child was. There's a lot of speculation. 
about what happened. And years later, we know the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon and the people of Judah were taken captive as well. One commentator put it this way. There's a great distinction between the Emmanuel in Isaiah's day and the manual of the son of Mary. The first was a type, the other an antitype. The first was a shadow, the other was a reality. One symbolized deliverance from foreign oppression, and the second was a deliverer from the oppressor. Emmanuel, God with us. What Isaiah, what God wanted Isaiah to tell King Ahaz in 730 BC is, You don't have to deal with this conflict like you're dealing with it. You don't have to go form an alliance with this other king and take this Emmanuel, God with us. God is doing his work here and he will protect you. And that's the same message that we need to take from the birth story of Jesus. So while there's a lot to celebrate and cherish and Certainly a lot of wonder about the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means and just the marvelous humility that took place. And that's another sub point here, isn't it? We think of the humility of Jesus as being born in a manger, you know, poor family, not even. The humility of the incarnation was Jesus is God and he had to become one of us. I mean, that's the humility. The humility is God became man. The the manger was nothing compared to that. That's the story. And conflict continues to be part of the narrative of all of our lives. The incarnation does give us a different way of responding, though. And this is this is important. This is where we're going to go. The concept of God with us, Emmanuel, I want that to be the anchor for what we're thinking about today. If we don't have that, then we're dealing with the wrong problem which will result in a wrong or unhelpful solution. The incarnation gives us hope, but Jesus' birth was not about stopping war. Jesus' birth was not about us getting along at the Christmas table. Jesus' birth was not about changing behavior. Jesus' birth was not about some new moral structure. Jesus' birth was about dealing with the problem of sin. And if, if we deal with, okay, the, the, the life and death of Jesus is to get people to behave better, then the solution is Jesus came to help us behave better. So then when I look at people I'm in conflict with, I need to help them behave better. And all of a sudden, we're just trying to behave better instead of Jesus came because it wasn't my sins. The evangelical church tends to focus a lot on sin management. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. You're in trouble if you do that. The New Testament focuses on God becoming man to deal with the problem of sin. Capital S, the stain of sin on all humanity. That's the incarnation. Now, as followers of Christ, we know how that works out, right? Then being reconciled with God, we're filled with the Holy Spirit who fills us and gives us that supernatural power to live out a life that is different, to sin less. But when our primary objective is sinning less, we miss the remedy. When we focus on the real problem, we get the right remedy, which does actually help us in our life to sin less, to make better choices, to do reconciliation across the aisle and across the table. Uh, And again, this is important because God with us helps us to enter into every conflict and every relationship in our lives. 
If Jesus came just to fix problems, then we as his followers may want to just fix problems instead of doing relationships. Jesus entered into this conflict. It's important to understand how he did this. Um, When Adam rebelled against God in the Old Testament, then sin entered the world, and then God sent this, the Old Testament system of the prophetic offer or the offerings that we give in the sacrificial system, which led to Jesus and his life. And then when Jesus ascended, before he ascended, we'll get to this in a little bit, we're in this phase now where we're, we're in the church and the Holy Spirit is using us all toward the ultimate end of God restoring all things. That's the hope that Isaiah wanted Ahaz to know and the hope that Matthew wants us to know in the birth story of Jesus. And this is, this is important. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 16 to 21 is how this works out in us so that we can know how it might work out in our relationships. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That alone is astounding, isn't it? As people reconciled to God, we look at people differently than we looked at them before. I don't look at you maybe as judgmentally as I used to. I don't look at you as critically. As people reconcile to God, I know how God has reconciled me. I know my brokenness. At one time, we thought, back to the text here in 2 Corinthians, one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. That's Emmanuel, God with us. God reconciling me to God, dealing with my sin on the cross so that I can be God's son. And then I look at everyone else differently. I look at everyone else through a lens of grace and mercy at that point. Not only do these verses explain our reconciliation to God, but how it should impact how we view other people. And that's still going on. As Christians, we can say our conflict with God is reconciled through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, is continued through the entire New Testament. It says every time two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus assured his followers before he ascended to heaven, that he would be with them until the end of the age, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus taught of the promised Holy Spirit who will dwell with us and be in us, John chapter 14. In Colossians 1.27, Paul identifies Christ in you as the hope of glory. Christ in you as the hope of glory. That's a miracle. That's a, that's a supernatural work of God. Revelation chapter 21, 3, John is talking about the culmination of all things. I heard a shout from the throne saying, good, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. It's only when we understand that, it's 
It's only when we understand how God sent Christ to become the solution for the conflict, the bigger conflict, that we have any hope of doing relationships. If we try to do relationships without that, then we're just trying to do it with human tactics and human wisdom. It's when we gain this eternal perspective of Emmanuel, God with us, that all of a sudden the illnesses that we face, the job loss, the job problems, the marital struggles, the loneliness, the addiction, the parenting issues, the financial setbacks, losing friends. It's only when we have that anchor of God with us can we engage in these other problems. Every conflict, every trouble, every hardship is an opportunity to ask that question, where is God right now in this? Where is Emmanuel, God with us, showing up or going to show up in this story right now? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 uh, help us when it says that we should count it all joy when we face troubles. It doesn't say all joy, all troubles are happy or joyful, but we should have joy when we face troubles because we have a perspective, because we have an eternal perspective of knowing where God is taking us. A few weeks ago, I had the honor of officiating the funeral for Jane Slater. Many of you know Jane. She served here so faithfully for so many years in many capacities, and she spent the last several months of her life with cancer. And she, she acknowledged the reality and the sadness and the hard path that she had. She was in a lot of pain, a lot of loss. But she had a strong testimony. Some of you may even have seen the interview she did. She did a video interview with Adam that was shown here several months ago. And in that, she, she declared right to the end, she held this right to the end, that her illness, as horrible as it was from one perspective, is a way for God to be glorified. And she held to the end, God's with us here. He's holding us. What a testimony. That eternal perspective didn't change the fact of her loss. It doesn't bring Jane back to us, but it gives us a perspective of knowing where she is and where we're going. That should help all of us, even in the ongoing problems of relationships. Emmanuel, God with us. Every year as a pastor and pastoral counselor, mediator, I talk to a lot of people, and this year is no different, about festering animosity in our families or issues we're dealing with, estranged relationships. How are we going to get through this holiday with problems and issues that we need to work with? Um, I'm going to pause for a few minutes to take a little detour and ask the question, how should Emmanuel God with us impact the family relationships that we have or the close relationships that we have, especially during Christmas, but even, even beyond that? So if you'll indulge me a little bit, uh, some of this is going to be just some practical steps, but I'm going to keep tying it back to Emmanuel God with us. So if the real presence of God is in our lives, one thing, one way it impacts our relationships is that we don't have to let our expectations and desires for other people or even a desire for an experience ruin our situation or ruin our holiday. James chapter four, verse one tells us that conflict always grows out of desires. James asked, why are there fights and quarrels among you? It's because of your desires. You want something, you don't get it. You fight, quarrel, kill, covet. You don't have because you don't ask God. So you, the don't ask God is God's presence. You don't, you don't lean into God being with you. Instead, there are these desires, and that's where conflict comes from. What are your expectations? What are your expectations? 
And sometimes it's the expectation that we're all going to get along this holiday. And if you don't do it, all of a sudden you're not, you're not in, you're not following the script I wrote for this evening. You're not following the script I wrote for this relationship. And when you don't follow the script, then you're out of the play. You're, you're, you're not, that's a judgment. But if we see God with us, all of a sudden that desire I have, I can say, okay, what's the greatest desire I have then? Is it, is it truly just to have a harmonious dinner or is it just to have us getting along as good as that might be? No, the ultimate goal is God's presence to be here for God to show up, for God to be real. Remember also, and I've talked about this in a previous sermon. If you want to go back and see it, it was when we did the undivided series last, I did a whole message on offense. Whenever we're offended by something someone else does, offense is a, a self-conscious emotion, kind of like pride or shame or guilt, as opposed to an emotional response like surprise or fear, which just, just happens. It's just a reaction. For me to be offended by something you do or say or something someone does or says, I actually have to bring something to the party. I have to bring my expectations. I expect to be honored and respected. I expect this to happen. And when that doesn't happen, I'm offended. I think that's helpful because I would love to think that every time I'm offended, it's 100% your fault, objectively. I had nothing to do with it. You are just a horrible person and thoughtless. But no, I bring my own stuff to that. When I focus on Emmanuel, I don't have to do that. As much as I might like to be respected, I might like to have this experience. I don't need it for me to be right with God. I don't need it for me to be whole. I don't need it for me to be accepted because I have Emmanuel, God, with us. Another kind of tip that we can take away that comes from this is when we trust that God's present, we also don't need to control and manage people in the situation, which often we do in relationships, don't we? Sometimes we hand over the emotional regulator of our life to someone else, and then when they don't take good care of it, we blame them for how we're responding. And sometimes we want to control other people and manage other people. And it gets really tricky when sometimes we might actually have a good point, and if they did this, life would be easier. But when we try to get them to do it because we want them to do it, it doesn't really work. I often hear people say something like, I had to do that or else this would have happened. I once was working with a church many years ago, church conflict situation, and one of the elders at this church said, we've got to deal with this problem right now because if we don't, we've got a congregational meeting coming up and it's just going to be a real mess at the congregational meeting if we don't deal with this and it'll be an open conflict in the congregational meeting. And, and I just said, how are you sure that's not what God sees as best for this church? You know, maybe, maybe the best thing for this church is not to avoid that, but to let it be an open conflict. And then, and then we have grace and mercy to deal with that. But we are often too quick to try to manage things. Emmanuel, God with us, says we don't need to manage. And when we don't need to manage, then we can do something that's even better. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Uh, is a verse I want you to write down. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a man's heart is like a deep water, like a deep well, deep water. A man of understanding draws it out. Proverbs is a boys' school book, <clears throat> so we can make it gender neutral without doing any problem to the text. So the purposes of a person's heart are like, it's like a deep well, and a person of understanding draws it out. 
that person who's difficult in your life, what are you doing to try to understand them? Doesn't mean agree with, approve of, it's just understanding. I often say there's always a reason why people do what they do. There's always a reason why people say what they say. There may not be an excuse to keep doing it, but there's always a reason. And the question is, am I listening to understand the brokenness, the fear, the challenges, the setback, the sin, the, the, whatever's lurking under that? Am I listening enough to understand? When I do training for mediators and lay counselors, I often tell them, when you're working with someone, I want you to listen 95% of the time. And the other 5%, I want you to ask a question, which leaves how much time to fix things? Zero. So when we listen to understand, when someone feels understood, that's as close to feeling loved as anything I can think of, right? Even especially if we're not agreeing with each other, especially if there's conflict between us and you listen and understand, there's something about that that feels deeply loving. Too often, though, we criticize, judge, and shame people instead of being the agent of reconciliation that God wants us to be. I'm going to throw out a few other random tips. um, And they are just kind of random tips before we circle back and close out. One is if you have a conflict in your family, whether it's holiday time or not, authenticity is what we're looking for. It's it's only phony if we're pretending it's something it's not. It's only phony if we're pretending it's something it's not. It's phony if we're saying we're going to get together and we're going to have this wonderful Christmas family get together and we're all going to just pretend that we're getting along. That's phony. It's not phony to say, you know what? I know we have to work through some stuff and there's some issues and tension between us and our relationships right now. And we'll get to that. But right now we're going to have Christmas together. And during this Christmas time, we're going to enjoy this time and we'll get to that later. It's only phony if we pretend it's something it's not. It's not phony if we're authentic. Another principle is to ask how you're listening Too often we listen in a defensive posture toward people when we're at odds with them. Instead of listening to understand, like I said earlier, we need to enter into those hard conversations and listen in a way that understands. I also, I I need to note too, there are situations that, that I can't speak to today. Maybe you're in a relationship or you have a situation where there's a really heavy addiction problem going on where there's been broken violation after violation of boundaries and things like that, that sometimes there's complex issues involved there where there's abuse, abusive behavior. Uh, And if that's the case, especially if there's physical abuse or sexual abuse going on in your life, please reach out to us so we can help with that because that's not okay. But those, those kinds of conflicts take it to a different level. And there's, there's some complex and new rules that have to apply in those things. But for general conflicts, we need to approach this with grace and mercy. And the last tip that I have is sometimes we just need to grieve. Sometimes we just need to grieve. And grief, we often think of when someone dies, but sometimes we need to grieve. It's like, you know what? I just need to grieve that we're probably never going to have that family get together like they do on TV that I would love to have, but there's just something going to be missing. 
but God's presence is going to bring the glory and everything I need. So I'm not like losing in this, but I just have to grieve that this is always going to be hard and grieve that loss and then enter into the relationship, enter into the conversations as best we can because grief is the doorway to the presence of God. Remember the anchor I said for this talk right now is God's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. Grief Grief brings us to God's presence for that pain and for that brokenness to find healing. I had a mentor once who reminded me that this life that we're living now before we die or before the Lord comes back and we go to heaven, this life is the only opportunity we have to be in conflict with one another. Do you realize that once you get to heaven, you have no choice but to get along with everybody perfectly all the time. You you will not be able to do anything else. So this life right now is the only opportunity we have to do conflict. And I think it's important to remember this is the only life that God is, and through the Holy Spirit, still doing that conflict, still rescuing people from darkness and bringing them to light. And he wants to use you and I in that struggle. John chapter 14, verse 27, then I'm going to pray. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift Peace of heart and mind. The peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the peace that we have in Christ. Thank you that it's a deep and lasting peace. And while we love the Christmas season, the beautiful lights and songs and the sentimentality of this and the cool movies we get to watch and the cards and presents. We are more thankful for the deep peace that we have, the reconciliation that we have with God because of Christ. And I pray for every family represented in this church right now that this Christmas will be a Christmas that we will experience God with us like never before. Even if there's conflict, if there's tension, I pray that that would be flooded with your presence and we will see you like we need to see you. Amen.